analysis has shown that whilst the UK is on track to generate enough net zero compatible electricity to meet its growing demand, there is a recurring misalignment of generation and demand that leaves the nation vulnerable to both power shortages and wasted excess generation. This lack of alignment could have detrimental impacts on both the corporate and residential sectors and could actually slow the energy transition. The UK is not alone in this predicament, and to discuss this pressing topic in more detail, I'm joined by Balance Power CEO, Phil Thompson. My name is Pamela Log, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. Let's start. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Balance Power, just so that our listeners can get an idea of who you are? No problem. Um, I'm Phil Thompson. I'm the CEO of Balance Power. Um, we are a developer of energy projects. Uh, historically, I've done over 30 gas peaking projects. And these days, specializing more in energy storage projects and large scale solar projects. So, yeah, they are our core activities at the moment. We're currently developing way over a gigawatt's worth of storage projects in the UK and some solar farms, the smallest of which are sort of down at the 10 megawatt region. Thanks for that, Phil. I think we should just dive straight into one of the hottest topics at the moment, and that's energy storage. So we realize that the world is pushing for net zero and there's a massive amount of renewable energy coming onto the grid and that's planned to be generated in the near future. We know that in order to get this renewable power onto the grid, ensure sufficient flexibility, it's not an easy task, which I think is why it's such a popular topic at the moment. Furthermore, we also have the Repower EU initiative which has put a lot of financing behind reducing dependency on Russian gas. We see a lot of detail on hydrogen, solar power, permitting, and even the development of oil and gas infrastructure, which does make sense. However, there seems to be a lack of clear definition when it comes to energy storage. Would you perhaps like to comment on this? Yeah, for us, it's pivotal that more attention is given to energy storage. At the moment, it is the most responsive, most viable technology that's out there in the market. Hydrogen is going to play a really important part of our energy future, but particularly in the UK and elsewhere in Europe, it's just not commercially viable at the moment. People are pressing really hard for it, but it's still at the testing phase. And how soon this is able to provide us with any sort of resilience on the system is still a complete unknown. So energy storage, the business models are really interesting, really compelling, and people are pushing hard right across Europe to try and find these assets and get them built. So what it does offer governments and networks in Europe is a solution that can be delivered very, very quickly to support renewables and then reduce the reliance that we have on fossil fuels. So we feel that is being partly overlooked in terms of the larger topics of, you know, rollout of new nuclear, rollout of hydrogen. These things are all going to take a very, very long time to implement. And storage, because it's so popular right at the moment, is not being given the limelight it deserves for what it can do, both in terms of providing flexibility services and for providing actual power. 
Absolutely. And I saw a press release from the European Association for Energy Storage, and they were actually quoted as saying, it is also a pity that the topic of curtailment is not fully covered. The EU wastes enormous quantities of renewable energy due to overproduction and system congestion. Energy storage would be able to prevent such inefficiency and maximize EU power generation, close quote. And when we were preparing for this podcast, Phil, this is exactly, you know, what we've been talking about. It's clearly an issue. Yeah, it's a very big issue. I think the figures can look quite comforting when you hear of the amount of energy storage that's being delivered in the UK at the moment or in planning. I think what people don't realise is most of these projects, you will be lucky to see that all of them this decade, let alone by 2035. And that's down to system, the network being so congested. So most of these projects, we've got a large volume in our portfolio at the moment. And because the, the system was never built for renewables, particularly in the UK, it was never built to run on renewable power. So it very much assumes all generation assets are all generating all at one time. And particularly with battery storage, it assumes it's always importing or always exporting, which it's doing neither. So there needs to be a much more modern look at the system and a lot of investment put into running the system in how it is going to operate in a period of time. We've shared some data with you of analysis that our commercial team has done Um, and one of the concerns that we have on energy storage from a broader view is not the amount of connected export generation capability of storage but the amount of megawatt hours that are connected to the system. The majority of systems that have been installed in the UK to date have only been one hour systems and a limited amount of those are capable of being expanded to two hours. The more modern projects that are being put in are being planned on the basis of two at at the very best three hours. What this is doing is clogging up the network because all of these projects, once they've generated and exported their power, it's only on the next period of oversupply that they're going to be able to charge again because that will put a pressure on the system to actually recharge. So the period of time where energy storage can actually perform on the system is being massively underestimated at the moment. Phil, if I can interrupt you, why do you think this is the case? Why is there this deficit in terms of the storage within the UK at the moment? So the business case is obviously for energy storage is new. And if you look at the number of hours available, you have your optimum half hour period and then every period subsequent to that is then less optimal than the period before. So at the moment, with the flexibility services that are available and opportunities in the wholesale market, two hours is probably the is the most optimal system to actually be deploying today. The problem with that is then that that is the misalignment between what the system needs and what is commercially viable from energy storage operators for what they see as viable. So this is where, as we start to decarbonize the system and and take the resilience of the system in terms of old gas, old nuclear, that isn't being factored into the amount of energy storage that will be physically connected to the grid, but not actually capable of delivering for longer durations. So there's a lot at the moment to try and incentivize longer duration. The problem is the longer duration, the generally the bigger those systems get. 
and you're not going to be able to put them systems onto the exact same connections. They're not infinitely possible to expand. So maybe one hour systems that are connected now can expand to two, but the problem is you're not going to be able to expand the volume. So at the moment, the target is, you know, 20 gigawatts of energy storage, but at the UK is likely to only have 40 gigawatt hours of resilience. And under our estimates, that is vastly short of what's going to be required. Those are some disturbing numbers. Thank you for highlighting that. So what is the response? You know, it's obvious we do need to correct the situation. How do we do that? You mentioned incentives. Does it need to come from a policy perspective or from top down? How do we approach this full? I think the issue is on the energy system. I think the business case is compelling enough. And I think you will see more and more generation wishing to be connected to the system. And I think developers and other operators such as ourselves can just keep doing this and perform. And certainly, you know, that even though there are some very, very significant numbers that need to be achieved, I think it can be done. Where it needs is the national grid, the distribution network operators. Those are the ones that need to take a fresh look at the system and invest heavily in the system to basically create the spare space to accommodate all of these projects. Phil, if I can also ask, you were talking a little bit earlier about some of the analysis that Balance Power has conducted. Could you highlight some of the other key findings perhaps within that analysis? I believe it's quite interesting and I think our audience would appreciate some more information. Yeah, so what we looked at in our analysis was we took 2021's demand patterns. Bear in mind, UK demand patterns are set to grow, but we established a base of 2021 in terms of demand. And then we overlaid what would be the 2035 system in the UK in terms of running without any carbon in the network. And what that found is, comparing those two graphs, is that there was an excess 24% of the time where generation was not meeting demand 24% of the time. So to be able to fill that gap and to bring that down, if you wanted to take the 24% gap down to 10%, would need 125 gigawatt hours. To get it down to 5% needs 250 gigawatt hours and down to 2%, 600 gigawatt hours of energy storage. So if we take that where we are today, and even everything that is currently proposed would maybe accommodate 40 gigawatt hours. So that is the short that we currently have in what is under development versus what the system would actually need if it was going to operate as we hope it would. That is actually unbelievable. So how do we bridge this gap? Because clearly we are going in the right direction, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. Here is the problem. We don't know when hydrogen will become commercially viable and the volume of renewables that you're going to need to require that. If we go for the big push of fully renewable, renewably generated hydrogen, all of those projects are still going to need grid connections. And there you've then got the same problem that the energy storage and the wind and the solar are all fighting for space on the network. So all of these hydrogen projects will still need a grid connection to be able to export power at a certain point. So unless the network grows significantly, 
there is just not going to be the space for all of these projects. So our, I think it is, is infinitely possible. The question on where we're going to get all the raw material for all of these battery storage projects, not just in the UK, but in Europe, is also a concern. But is it possible to do all of these projects? I think if the government throws enough to National Grid to open up the checkbook, I think the projects will appear and I think it can be done. Absolutely. It always comes down to the bottom line. Phil, you mentioned how to maintain the renewables business case when we were preparing for this. Would you like to perhaps talk us through that, what you meant by that? Yes. So the problem, as we said, on the energy storage is you have all of these technologies effectively competing with each other on the grid. And what we're seeing with our solar applications that we're doing at the moment is during the peak of the day for solar, you're now getting requests to curtail off the grid during those periods because the grid is assuming that wind is fully generating and so is solar. So the new offers that we're getting is saying you can't perform optimally, not from a project level, but from a grid connection level. So as we try and put more renewables onto the grid, each business case is going to be more and more stressed. So we are round to the same problem of how does a solar project perform when it's most valuable 20% of time, it's actually curtailed off the grid. So how well are these projects going to perform financially? Bear in mind, solar is you know, fairly low returns anyway, still attractive, but much lower returns. How is that not just the projects that we're seeing being quoted for connection today, but how is that going to perform in two, three, four years time? as we're expected to vastly ramp up the volume of renewables across Europe. Makes perfect sense. Phil, thank you so much for explaining that to us and to our listeners. It's quite fascinating. And I think this topic is just going to, I mean, we're scratching the surface. So I think we're going to spend a lot more time talking about the future of energy storage. Would you perhaps like to comment? We focused a great deal on the UK. What are your thoughts in terms of what we're going to see in Europe? I think our core expertise is in the UK. I think the comfort that we have in the UK is that we, you know, we have a price problem in the UK, but we don't so much have an actual physical supply issue. I think there's going to be much more pressures, particularly in Eastern Europe, um, to try and work out what they're going to do, really, to try and implement new solutions very, very quickly just because of the stability issues that they're seeing in the area. So the drivers are slightly different, I'd say the further east, or how they are going to implement solutions quickly enough is quite frightening, really, in terms of the system. It's whatever the solutions are, none of them are fast. So trying to you know, support the decarbonisation of the system at the same time as trying to keep the lights on and bills low, in my experience in power, the age-old energy trilemma, it, it's been the, the drive to decarbonise has been the, you know, the driving force of the trilemma. I think the other two elements were afterthoughts. And I think for the first time, we're seeing, uh, you know, equal weight applied to those. So how we manage to sort of keep all of this running uh, in tandem is just going to be a huge challenge, particularly in Eastern Europe. Absolutely. I can tell that by, you know, the discussions at the World Economic Forum, 
there's a lot of pressing issues and I think we're trying to juggle all of these issues simultaneously, trying to find solutions to energy security while not getting locked into fossil fuel assets down the line. So it is a fine balance indeed. Phil, before we finish up, do you have any concluding comments that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, what's next for Balance Power, perhaps? I think next for Balance Power is to you know, continue the good work that we've been doing and to actually get on and build as many of these assets as we physically can. The more assets that are out there, not just by us, but the rest of the market, the better impact it's going to be on decarbonizing the network, reducing energy bills for both businesses and homeowners. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting few years. I think the pressure is certainly on now to do what we can as quickly as we can to just deliver maximum impact. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting few years. We will, of course, keep an eye on what you're up to and keep our readers and our audience and our listeners up to date. So thank you, Phil, for joining us. I'm going to include a link to the Balance Power data that we refer to in this episode so that our listeners can have easy access to that. But Phil, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to discuss this topic with you. Great. Thank you very much for your time, Pamela. Thank you. And to our listeners, see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlit.world for more episodes. See you next time.